Good morning, friends. I want to welcome you to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. I'm so glad you joined us this morning. My name is Chad, and I'm the youth pastor here at Vernonia Church. I have the awesome privilege to speak with you this morning as we continue our series called The Peace Offer. We're going to be talking about uh, an offered truth, and it's going to be a great day. But before we get started, I want to pray with you as we get ready to dive into this message. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this awesome opportunity to, to hear about this offered truth that you give us. Father, I, I just ask that you would just prepare our hearts as we get ready to dive into this message, and that as we hear your words and as you speak to us, Father, that you would teach us about your love and your grace and your mercy through this, this peace offer that you give us. Father, we thank you for this day, this glorious day that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Now, we're in a series where we're talking about knowing God's peace. Now, King David said, when God leads us, he leads us beside peaceful streams. He leads us into his peace. In Isaiah 26, 3, the prophet Isaiah says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Now, as we've been talking about this, he offers us his very own presence in our lives, and he gives us this incredible peace. And this morning, we are going to talk about that incredible truth that he offers us. And this truth will bring us the peace of God. And here's the truth that gives us peace. God's purpose for you is to be loved. Now, in 1993, the life of Mary Johnson would be changed forever. Her son, Laramian Bird, uh, who was 20 years old, would get into an altercation with a young man named O'Shea Israel. Now, Israel was a 16-year-old Minneapolis teen who had been heavily involved with gangs and, and with drugs. But during this altercation with Bird, Israel would end up shooting and killing Bird. Israel would be sentenced to 15 years in prison. And during that time, Miss Johnson would go from wanting to hurt Israel for taking her son away from her to learning to love Israel. Now, after Israel was, was sentenced, Miss Johnson would repeatedly request to speak with Israel. And ultimately, he would finally agree to sit down with her face to face. She said, I, I wanted to know if you were the same, in the same mindset of what I remembered from court, where I, I ultimately wanted to hurt, go over and hurt you. But you were not that 16-year-old. You were a grown man. And I shared with you about my son. Israel said at that point, Bird became human to me. At the end of their meeting at the prison, Johnson was overcome by emotion and hugged him. The initial thing for Israel to do was just to try to hold up as best as he could. Israel said that he just, he just hugged Miss Johnson as though she were his own mother. And Ms. Johnson said, after Israel left the room, I began to say to myself, I just, I just hugged the man that murdered my son. She said instantly that she knew that the anger and, and all the animosity and all the stuff that she had held in her heart for 12 years was gone. She had totally forgiven Israel. Now, Johnson would go on to, to found from death to life, two mothers coming together for healing. Now, this is a support group for mothers who have lost children due to violence. Ms. Johnson holds a two-sided locket that she wears on a necklace. On one side is a photo of herself and, the other, and her son, and on the other side is a picture of Israel. 
Israel says that sometimes I still don't know how to take it because I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. It's something that I'm learning from her. I won't say that I have learned yet because, well, it's still a process that I'm going through. To that, Miss Johnson would say, I treat you as I would my own son. Our relationship is beyond relief. Miss Johnson and Israel actually live next to each other in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And when Israel falls out of touch with her, well, he is sure to hear about it. Israel says when, when she does, she's like, boy, how come you haven't come over to check on me in a couple of days? You ain't even asked me if I needed the garbage taken out. To this, Israel says that, that he finds it funny because it, it, it's like a real relationship with a mother. To that, Miss Johnson would say, my, my natural son is no longer here. I didn't get to see him graduate, but now you're going to college and I'll have the opportunity to see you graduate. I didn't get to see him get married, but hopefully one day I'll be able to experience that with you. Now, Israel says that, that hearing this and hearing what she says gives him a reason to meet his goals. He says, and it motivates me to make sure that I stay on the right path, he says. You still believe in me, and the fact that you can do that despite all the pain I have caused you, it's amazing. With that, Israel would say, I love you, lady. And Miss Johnson would reply, I love you, son. Against all odds, Miss Johnson was able to love this young man and forgive him. You want to know what your purpose is in this world? God created you. He made you for a purpose. You don't dream up your purpose. You don't make your purpose, nor do you create your purpose. You see, the only way you know your purpose is if God, who made you, tells you your purpose. This truth of that purpose starts with within the nature of who God is. Here's the truth that it all starts with, that God is love. In 1 John 4, 8, the Apostle John tells us God is love. He doesn't just love. It isn't just loving. He doesn't just show love. God is love. Love is the nature, the very character and essence of who God is. There would be no love in this world if it wasn't for the truth that God, the creator of all things, is love. The only things you are able to show love, uh, show, uh, the only reason you are able to show love or to receive love or even feel love is because God, who is God, uh, the God of love, made you in his image. You see, ants and snails and slug, well, they, they can't love. But people love because they are made in his image. The Bible tells us that everything God created, he created so that he could love it. He never made anything he doesn't love. He loves it all. And if you're here this morning, and you're alive, and you have a pulse, God loves you. You were created as the object of his love. And the reason God made you is so that he could express his love to you, and so you could experience his love. In Ephesians 1, 4-5, it says, Even before he made the world, God loved us. That means before God created anything, before he made the universe, he, he thought about how he was going to create the earth so that he could make all the people, so that he could love you. God wanted to love you so much, he made all the other stuff happen that brought you into it. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family and bring us 
through to himself through Jesus Christ. That is, he wanted to do this, and he and it gave him great pleasure. This is the plan that God had. He wanted a, he wanted to have a family, and he wanted you to be a part of it. The very reason the universe exists is because God wanted to have a family, and he wanted you to be a part of it. The thought of you, if you look at this last portion of this verse, I want you to circle it. It says, because the thought of you gave him great pleasure. God made you to love you. One of the reasons he created you, one of the purposes he, he made you for, was to be loved and that should bring you incredible peace. It gives me peace to know the truth. And that brings us to our first point. It gives me peace to know this, that my purpose in life is to be loved by God, that God made me to love me. Now let's say that out loud on the count of three. One, two, three. God made me to love me. God made you to love you. Let that sink in for a minute. The first purpose in life is not, is not to serve God or to trust God or even to love God yourself. The first purpose God gave you is to be loved by him and to let God love you. His first purpose for creating you wasn't so that you could do something. His first purpose for in creating you was so that you could receive something. If we could understand this truth, it changes everything. Then my most important purpose in this life is not to be, to be something or to do something for God. It's to receive something from God, to receive his love. I was made to be a receiver of his love. So your first duty in this life is not to do something. It's not to, to learn, to serve, to give, sacrifice, or pray. Now, don't get me wrong, those are important. But it's not the first thing. He created you, first of all, to receive his love, to let God love you. Our second point is this. God made me for a relationship with God. He made me and gave me a purpose to be loved by him. He made me and gives me a calling to have a relationship with God and to enjoy that relationship. When I was growing up in the children's home, it wasn't easy with the number of kids that lived there. In the older boys' dorm, there were, there were 9 to 11 of us who lived in the basement. And just above us, there would be the little boys' dorm, which would have another 6 to 8 of them. There was also the girls' dorm, which I don't remember how many that took because I wasn't in there very often. But it was above the kitchen and dining room. There were a lot of us there, and many of us would consider ourselves brothers and sisters. Now, every April 1st, obviously, April Fool's Day, we would hear about the pranks the girls would play on one another. Some of them, I would say, were pretty bad. I remember one of the girls took and poured Tang in one of the girls' shoes. Now, Tang is one of those orange powder drinks, kind of like that country, country time lemonade. She put it in her shoes, and, well, nobody got into trouble for it. Well, at least that I know of. So one year, a few of us decided to join in on the fun and do some pranks of our own. Jeff and I would proceed to put a plan together of how we were going to go about it. And then that night, while everybody was asleep, we went, in, went through and started switching people's light switches upside down. And for a couple people, we put shaving cream in their shoes. 
wouldn't go over so well because the next morning we'd be called up to our family meeting. Now, family meeting was a time where we would get together as a family and sit down to hear about the events that were supposed to happen that day or work projects that we were going to do. Now, during this time, Jeff and I were called forward and called out on our prank. Because of that, we would get garbage detail. You see, it, it kind of seemed one-sided since, well, we got into trouble and the girls didn't. But I guess, in all authentic, we got what we deserved. In the book of Jude... It was written by a pastor, an evangelist named Jude, who was actually the half-brother of Jesus. Now, we often forget Jesus had half-brothers and sisters. You see, when Jesus was born, Mary was a virgin. That was part of God's plan and necessary for Jesus to be the Son of God. It was miraculous birth because, well, God was the father of Jesus. But we often forget that after Jesus was born, the Bible tells us that Mary and Joseph had more kids. One of these would be named James, and the other would be named Jude. They had heard Jesus speak, and they saw him do miracles, but here's the interesting thing. Jesus' brothers did not believe in him, at least not until after he died and rose from the dead. You see, they watched him die, and they watched him raised from the dead, and it was then that they believed in him and said, he, who, he is who he claimed to be. It was then that they believed in him. So for Jude to say what he says in the book of Jude is incredibly humble. Now, can you imagine how tough it would be to grow up with Jesus, your brother? You get into a fight. You go to your mom and you say, he did it. Mary says, hey, Jude, don't be sad. Now remember, Jude, your brother is Jesus. How tough would it be to have a perfect brother? How many of us grew up with brothers or sisters that, well, we thought that our parents thought that they were perfect? Well, here's the issue. Jesus was perfect. He was always right. And so you can imagine why they had a chip on their shoulder until he rose from the dead. And for them, for him to write, a lot of what he writes in the book of Jude shows incredible humility. In Jude 1, it says, this letter is from Jude, a slave of, slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. And this truth this morning is a truth that brings incredible peace. That your, your most important call in your life is not to have a specific role or to have responsibilities or to regulations or to a ritual or even to a religion. It's to a relationship. See, when God gave us Jesus Christ, he did it so that he could start a relationship with you. Because God is love, and he wants, to, wants you to experience that love. More than any other role you can play in life, he wants you to be his son or his daughter. This is, more, this is a more important role than any other. More than being his slave or more than being his servant or even being a soldier or, or being his warrior. More than even being his worker. He is not looking for us to be his minions. God wants you first to be his son or his daughter who he loves. He wants you to be in his family. In Romans 1, 7, it says, I am writing to all of you who are loved by God and are called to be in his holy to be his only to be his own holy people may god our father the lord jesus christ give you grace and peace
Do you hear that? He says you are loved by God, that you are called to be his own. And knowing that truth gives us grace and peace. Our third point is this, that God made us to be his children. He created me to be his son or daughter. The relationship he created to be in is the relationship as a child has with their father. Now, this is one of the most important truths you will ever hear in your life, that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of all the, all the universe, is interested in more than you being his servant. He wants you first to be his son or his daughter. God wants you to be in his family and to love you. Now, being, being away from your family can be difficult. I would say living in the children's home made it even more difficult. I lived in the children's home for 10 years. During that 10 years, I would barely see or hear from my biological family. Any time spent away from your family makes it so that you can never hear from them enough, but it can be really lonely when you don't hear from them very, very often at all. But I'll say some of this changed when my youth pastor, who was also a staff member, came to work for the children's home. Jake and Alicia's home would become what I would envision a family would be like. We would spend hours at his house watching TV, talking, making food, or, or eating good food. <laughs> there were even times when Jake wanted to go see a movie or something, and he would ask us, Hey, you want to go see a movie? Or... Hey, we're going we're gonna to make a run to Walmart. Do you want to go with us? Or, hey, we're going to go to Panda Express. you want to come along? In this, he never asked us for money. He never required anything from us, and he took care of us like family. You see, to this day, I'm still in contact with them, and they are family. Because of Jake and Alicia's witness, the love that they had for us, even when we messed up, is one of the reasons I'm in youth ministry today. It's the reason I do ministry the way I do. If we're, going to, if we're going to town and we have youth with us, nine times out of ten, we're going to Dutch Bros. Or at least getting a snack or something. What these two taught me is what I do as well. It's simply a picture of God's love for us as his children. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we are. We are named the children of God. We are called the children of God. And we are counted as the children of God. Because of this, we are children of God. This is your number one purpose in life. It's not to accomplish something. It's not to build something. It's not to become rich and famous or build some kind of great legacy. Your number one purpose in life is, to, is not to make something of yourself. No. Your number one purpose in life is to be a child of God. God created you and called you to be loved by him and to experience that love. The only thing is, the saddest part, most people will never truly experience that love. They might have heard, him, heard of his love and, and they might have heard of John 3.16. They may even heard somebody say, hey, man, God loves you. And they might say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know God loves me, as if it's bored them to death. 
But if it bores you to death, you still don't get it. Because if you got it, you would be so incredibly excited. You might have heard it with your ears and got it in your head, but you missed it in your heart. One pastor said, a lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches because they, they never really made it from their heads to their hearts. And I tell the students all the time, the longest distance you will ever travel in your entire life. It's not the amount of, of distance you will travel around the world. It, it's not the amount of times you go from coast to coast to coast. It, shoot, it's not even going from this earth up into the sky. Say somebody's in NASA and goes to the moon. The furthest distance we will ever travel in our life is getting what's up here to here, to believe it here and to believe it here. It's why your purpose is to experience God's love in your life. He said we are called children of God. Why would God call us that? Because God loves us. His love is incredible. It's huge. It's awesome. And it's beyond comprehension. He loves us on our good days. He loves us on our bad days. He loves us when we deserve it and even when we don't deserve it. The truth is you can't make God stop loving you. There isn't anything that you could say or do that will make God love you any more or any less than he does right now. It's because God's love for you is not based on, on who you are or what you have done. God's love is based on who he is, and God is love. So your number one call in his life is not to do something. Your job is not to impress God with what you do or what you can say or how many verses you can memorize. Your number one calling in his life is to humbly receive something, and that is that God loves you. In Ephesians three seventeen through 19, the Apostle Paul prays a prayer. And by the way, this is a prayer that Pastor Sam says he'll be praying for you this week, and I will be praying for you as well. He says, I pray then that Christ makes his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow deep into God's love and keep you strong, and you may have the power to understand all as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Do you notice that? He says that I pray that you experience the love of Christ. Not that you just know it. Not that you just have an idea in your head about it. I want you to experience it. I want you to feel it with every part of your being. To experience it emotionally. To experience it rationally. To experience it with your whole life. But the issue is we can never fully comprehend it. But he wants you to understand how wide, how long, how deep, and how high God's love is for you. And here are some truths that should give you peace. The first is God's love is wide enough to be everywhere you will ever go. There is no place in this world that you can go where God won't love you. There's no place in the universe that you, you can go where his love isn't there. God's love is everywhere. It's in the bars where people are drunk. It's in the shady parts of the city. It's in the hotels and the motels where people are selling themselves. It's even in the slums. It's in the places where the poor are. It's in the prisons. 
and it's in your homes. There is no place God's love is not. Now you might say, well, I don't see it there, but that doesn't mean it's not there. There are a lot of things in this world that we can't see. Take, for example, radio waves and television waves and cellular waves. They're traveling through the air right now, and we can't see them, but your phones and your radios and your televisions, well, they pick up on them. You can't see them until you tune into them. Now, you may not see God wherever you are, but if you tune into your receiver, you will experience his love. You will know he is real and, and as... A, I'm going to start over with he wants to understand at the very beginning of this portion, and I'll send this to you. He wants you to understand how wide, long, high, and deep God's love is for you. And here are some truths that should give you peace. God's love is wide enough to be everywhere you will go. There is no place in this world that you can go where God won't love you. There is no place in this universe where his love isn't there. God's love is, is in the bars where, where their people are drunk. It's in the shady parts of the city. It's even in the motels and the hotels where people are, are selling themselves. It's in the slums. It's in the, in the places where the poor are. It's even in the prisons, and it's in your home. There is no place where God's love is not there. Now, you might say, well, I don't see it, but that doesn't mean it's not there. There are a lot of things that are, that are here that we can't see. For example, radio waves and television waves, even cellular waves, they're traveling to the air currently right now. You can't see them. But your phones, your radios, and your televisions pick up on them all. You can't see them unless you tune into them. Now, you may not see God wherever you are, but if you tune into your receiver, you will, you will experience his love. You will know he is as real today here as I am currently. But you have to tune in. His love is wide enough to be wherever you are. And even though there will be times you might feel lonely, you're never truly alone. This God's love is with you, whether you're aware of it or not. The second truth is this. God's love is long enough to last for eternity. His love is greater than any person's love. Our love can wear out. People can stop loving us. You see, human love falls short. That's why there's breakups and divorces and friendships that end in conflict or irreconcilable differences. Human love can come to an end. But God's love for you, it never wears out. God will never stop loving you. Even if you reject him and go to hell, he won't stop loving you. Because he made you to love you. He loves you with an everlasting love. The next truth is God's love is deep enough to handle it all. No matter what pains or problems or grief you might be going through, no matter what hurts or hardships you're going through, no matter what guilt or grudges you're holding on to, no matter what, God's love is deep enough to handle it all. You might have times where you feel like you've hit rock bottom. You might say, I can't go any lower than I am right now. Guess what? 
God's love goes deeper than your pit. There is no hole that you dug that is deep enough to be out of God's reach or his love for you. And the final truth of this is God's love is high enough to overlook my shortcomings. God's love is high enough to, look, to overlook my, my sin, my faults, my failures, even my mistakes. It's high enough to overlook my rebellion and my, my sinfulness. Jesus offers through the cross to forgive all your sins, and he offers you a chance to start fresh with him. Now, if we could go back before all creation, before anything ever existed, God thought of you. He chose to love you, and he's been waiting ever since to hear th- for you to hear this truth. You don't have any idea how much I love you, he says. I have always loved you. There has not been a minute or a second of your life that I have not loved you. I was the one who planned your birth. I allowed you. I allowed that so I could love you. I saw you formed in your mother's womb, and I loved you. I saw you take your first breaths. I heard your first cries. There hasn't been a moment of your life that I have turned my back on you. I watched you as, as with every sad and low moment, every painful moment. I have seen every sin. I have seen your pains and your love. And whether you realize it or not, I have been there at every moment of your life. I was watching you with an incredible love because I made you and I love you. So here's the question. How would your life be different? How much more peace would you have in your life if you were aware of God's unconditional, his ever-present, never-ending love for you? How would things change if the, the first thought of every morning was this, I am deeply and unconditionally loved by God? As you get ready for the day, when you get into your car or go to work, you say to yourself, I can sense the love of God in my life. How would it change your life if as you go through your work day, you felt God, the love of God? When you came home, you worked in the yard or you watched TV or played games, you were sensing God's love for you. What would it be like if you knew God's love all day and every day for the rest of your life? How would it change things? I'll tell you one big way. You have an incredible peace with God. In Acts 10.36, the Apostle Peter says, This is the message of good news for the people, that there is no peace with God through that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all I want to give you a chance to have that kind of peace today a chance to accept the peace that God gives you to know the peace that comes from his incredible love if you've never made a first-time decision to accept God's love I want to encourage you to do that if you're here this morning and you made that decision, I would really like to invite you to join me in asking God to help us know more about how wide, how long, high, and deep his love is for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your love is so deep, so wide, and so high that there is nothing that we can say or do that would 
make you love us any more, any less than we do right now. Father, may we take this time today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives to understand that love and that unconditional peace that comes from you, knowing that you love us, that you created us to be loved. Father, I thank you for this this great opportunity just to be able to talk about this love that you give us that's unconditional. Father, I ask that you would just be with us this week as we go through this week. Remind us of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you for this opportunity to speak with you this morning as as we went through this message talking about this truth. I want you to remember that you are loved by God. And maybe this week this will be one of those times where you choose uh, to understand God's incredible love for you or that you will choose to fully accept that incredible love, maybe even for the first time. It's been a great day, and I, I, want, I want to thank you guys for this opportunity. And on the count of three, I want to say it's been a great day. One, two, three. It's been a great day. Thank you, and have a wonderful, blessed day.